Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello everyone, welcome to episode 20 of the Rocker Report, quite a milestone for us tonight. Uh, there's lots to discuss off the back of a hard-fought draw with Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, obviously we've got a January transfer window to go into, it was underwhelming for some, I think to say the least. Uh, with me tonight we've got Callum, how's tricks Callum? Yeah, good, not good. too bad. Feeling good. And also we've got Tom, how are you doing Tom? I'm good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad. Our injury list is about as bad as the clubs, really, when it comes to the podcast at the moment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But we'll do. We'll make do. We'll make do with what we've got. So let's uh, start with the Spurs match. Um, Tom, what were your thoughts on the game? It was a nice. It was a nice surprise, actually. Um, it's been it's been a, a month full of absolute dross. So it's nice to see that we can actually put in these battling performances again. Um, Kone coming. Kone and Dong coming back. I didn't realise how much we'd missed them until the uh, started. Uh, it was, having Kone instead of Gillibodji alongside John O'Shea makes an absolute world of difference. These they just they seem to have a much better partnership than Gillibodji and O'Shea because I think Gillibodji just makes everyone in the team nervous. Whereas if you have like a calmer head like Kone who knows how to defend, knows what he's doing then everyone else feels a bit more calmer. And they managed to hold off, like, uh, Kane and uh, Ericsson. They mar- marshaled them well, and I thought we worked quite well as a as a um, that back three. I mean, Denea, he was a bit ropey for the first, like, ten minutes, but they kind of settled into it. And it just worked as a, as a, um, as a dynamic. The, the full-backs managed to nullify... Uh, they're rampaging fullbacks until we crocs one of them, and then in, 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 in midfield, in Dong's energy is something that we've been missing for the all of January, and it looks actually for the first time in about like two months we actually had a midfield. We had uh, in Dong, Rodwell, and Larson in a three, which actually worked as opposed to just the weird collection of a centre-back in midfield and Donald Love as his partner or George Honeyman and Denea and it just which doesn't work and I was quite uh, quite pleasantly surprised that we it wasn't like we were hanging on it wasn't these where we got peppered all game it was more of a 
they were just restricted Tottenham to like pot shots and you know half chances and it was, it was really quite positive just wish just wish Barini had uh, scored or when he had that glorious opportunity uh, but you know you can't have everything in one no, game can you I suppose I agree with you there when, I mean specifically two players you mentioned for me Kone and, and Dong I mean obviously it's been difficult with Kone and his performances with his bad back and all that um, obviously with the transfer window closing now safe to say he's with us so he's what is he back to what we originally saw Do you know is that is that it is he settled now is he well he's got no no choice really has he so he's got to perform and I think that's interesting to see that because for a while we lost confidence in him he started having some really bad games and there was some obviously conjecture as to whether it was the fact that he wanted to leave and he was unhappy or whether he was just uh, Moyes couldn't get it out of him do you know what I mean whether it was a problem with the system but I think that certainly yeah. highlighted that he was he, he certainly able to compete at that level he looks like yeah, a player yeah. now that's uh, sorry Cal he said uh, he looks like a player now that's kind of he's can, he knows he's here now for the rest of the season so he might as well be good so yeah. and then and then we can then if he wants his move at the end of the season wherever we are in the the football game hierarchy then he can then he can bugger off or whatever but it showed so much because I thought he might come back last night and be having a bit of a sulk thinking he wants out but no he was, he was very good yeah I mean I I've said in previous podcasts when we talked about his form <clears throat> that um, he's he's still. I mean, we know he's a. We know he's got everything that you need to be a very very good Premier League centre back. And that if you got his move to Everton, he would be uh, a, a very very good player for them. Um, I, I mean, the, if you just look at the the stats that uh, that he had last season. Um, before, like before he came in, forty-five goals conceded in twenty-two games. When he came in, he came in, uh, and we got and we, and we conceded seventeen goals in the remaining uh, sixteen games. Now that's like a, that's a massive, massive shift and a huge impact. And you can tell when you're watching him play that his positioning and and his reading of the game and his tackling. He doesn't have to dive in. He doesn't have to throw himself at stuff because he gets himself in the right place. And that's the difference between Gillibodji, who is no less sort of athletic. He's obviously not as strong as Kone, but in terms of pace, I don't think he's much slower. And in terms of athleticism, he should he should be able to match Kone. But it's the positioning and the kind of the authority that it, that Kone has that just it just you it's just a joy to watch him defend when he's at his best. I mean, I, I said he was Player of the Year last season because I thought his impact was that great. And it meant that Defoe's goals meant something. And so, you know, there's been a lot of talk about his form, about his attitude. And Moyes has obviously thought he's, he's at, the problems with his attitude, the, the problems with whether he's going to play or, or agitate or, you know, cause a bit of trouble is obviously worth, it's obviously worth the risk because you've got such an important player there. And we saw how important he was last night. I thought he was, he was fantastic. Just edged and dong for man of the match for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I completely agree with those points, and I mean, it's in a sense. I know it's a, we're grasping at straws here, but it's almost like having another signing, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Because it, in my eyes, he wasn't there. He, he hasn't been there for quite some time now, a couple of months. So it, it's good to have that. I mean, obviously he was gone away at the Afghan, so technically, physically, he wasn't there for a while anyway. But um, didn't get much game time at the Afghan. Actually, I wonder what that was about. Yeah, it's strange. I mean, um, and we know he's carrying a, a bit of an injury. He went off against 
against Burnley and, and the sort of the cynics came out and said maybe he's faking it, maybe he just wants to get away, save himself for the AFCON, you know, maybe save himself for a transfer and all that sort of stuff. You know, we in fo- football makes you cynical. Modern day football makes you uh, think the worst of players, particularly when Kone did what he did in the summer. Um, but obviously, um, he's, he's he's maybe he's, he's maybe a, a little bit out of favour. Maybe the manager's seen he's a little bit out of form, carrying an injury. Um, but it certainly didn't look to be carrying an injury last night. But you know, it's it's just it's good for us because the pitches were were pretty terrible over yeah. there from what I've heard. I didn't I didn't watch any of the the African combinations. Oh, but I did. Um, quite <laughs> I saw some of the videos, the inevitable <laughs> Twitter clips of, of some of the quality football going yeah. on. But um but uh yeah I didn't I didn't watch any of it. But apparently the pitches were quite poor so I'm not gonna I'm not gonna feel sorry for um for the Ivory Coast uh that that he, he didn't get to play some because obviously it's better for us. Yeah, so that's true enough. Um yeah, yeah. And talking I'm, I'm, talking I'm about players, um, as I said, and Don, I mean, for such a young lad, and for a lad who looked completely out of his depth in the first couple of games for us, uh, again, he was like a revelation to watch last night. And it's interesting because he has a composure that seems beyond his years, um, and he's sort of filling that role of uh, that ball-winning role as well, which was like he's he's quite strong, which I didn't expect from him, sort of thing. And he was he's good at the interception. I mean, imagine him and Kirchhoff, if Kirchhoff was firing like together in the same midfield, that'd be wonderful. But yeah, I certainly think he's a player that's come into his own. Um, yeah, I think absolutely, we're yeah. absolutely missing, like, like Tom said earlier, we're missing that in midfield, or we have been. Uh, we've had this hodgepodge ragtag midfield that hasn't really been performing anywhere near the standard that they have to be in order to provide that support to the fire and things like that. Mm. Um, I thought so, I thought the I thought the formation helped as well yesterday um, against Spurs. I mean, we seemed to be able to press them quite high up the pitch, which was a bit of a, a difference. I mean, when you consider the game at White Hart Lane uh, in September, um, the the way that we played. I mean, obviously we didn't enjoy a lot of possession last night, which we wouldn't expect to. But the the game plan was very different in terms of we we pressed them quite high up the pitch. We put pressure on their defence. And I was quite surprised at how their defence seemed to panic quite often um, and and lose the ball. I mean, Danny Rose going off was a huge, uh, huge blow for them. I mean, Ben Davies is a decent player, but he's not um, he's not got the pace or the kind of the 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 drive that Danny Rose has in in, in putting you under pressure and getting forward. Um, but yeah, I was, I was I think the formation was was good. I mean, Brini dropped. He, he was able to get quite close around Defoe and, and maybe cause a bit of trouble in the middle. But also, when we lost the ball, we didn't have the ball. He dropped deeper, made sort of a midfield four um, that kind of stretched out and 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 the wing, and, and offered a bit of cover for the wing backs as well. And then obviously we had the three centre backs that really compacted the space. That meant that Spurs couldn't really play through us. So we're trying all night and a gape and holes out wide. Really, I mean. Especially in the second half, when you know the ball was going out of Walker five or six times, and he had loads of space, loads of time, and and every time they just kind of cut inside, try to play it through, try to try to do some little through balls and and you know a few snapshots and stuff like that. And they looked, they Spurs looked quite devoid of ideas. They looked a bit rusty, um, and I was surprised they didn't exploit the fact that with wing backs we didn't, we maybe didn't have that immediate cover. In wider areas, I'm surprised they didn't exploit that more. But um, you know, all credit's got to go to the players because there was a real, 
I mean, when you when you contrast that with the performance against Stoke a couple of weeks ago, I mean, it's just night and day. Mm. It was uh, so yeah, it was yeah, no, uh, very positive. Yeah, again, I was I was quite disappointed with Tottenham. Uh, well, not the disappointment of the way we we nullified them quite well, but I was expecting a bit more. I don't know, a bit more guile, a bit more creativity, a bit more ideas. Like you said, they just didn't seem to have any kind of kind of like a spark. There was no no one like like with these incisive balls that would normally. It's an ideal opportunity because if you put one ball through our defence, it usually opens up like the Red Sea. And you're in, but there was none of that. It was all a bit like, bit mundane, bit like slow-paced build-up. Whereas I don't know if that Danny Rose's injury quite early on uh, affected them or affected the the rhythm, um, but they just didn't seem to have much of a clue. And I, like the fact that again we rejected them to um, like pot shots and smothered attempts was testimony to us. But I also think uh, we we should get onto. What, what kind of turned it in our favour? Not not the the play of the game, but just made everyone feel more up for it. Was Jack Rodwell absolutely clattering Dembele? See, and that could have gone two ways. See, he didn't get sent off. If he had got sent off, that would have been one of the most stupid things I would have ever seen, and it would have killed us, and the game would have been over. But he didn't get sent off, and the crowd is now up. All I've seen on like the past day or so on a. On Twitter, that he somehow now got curried favour with the fans by just clattering someone, mm. and to have a player whose confidence must have been on the floor for so long, and all he needs to do is that. If that actually wins the fans round, and he puts in more performances like he did last night, we could again we could have a new player in our hands, and that, for weirdly, that's like quite exciting. Obviously, come back to me on Sunday when he's been terrible and everyone hates him again. <laughs> But it, I don't know, it's just, it, it feels like this could be a bit of a watershed moment for a player that's been quite rubbish. <laughs> well, he does seem yeah, to I mean, come on in leaps and bounds, I think, in in recent times, uh, under Moyes' stewardship. What do you reckon, Kevin? I don't know. I mean, I, I think, I think obviously, Undong being back made a huge difference. Mm. Um, and maybe, who knows, made him look a little bit better. Um because Ndong was kind of everywhere, and 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 like you said, Rodwell's only from in my mind. I mean, I was I was there, but Rodwell was you know working hard and everything, and and didn't do anything shockingly bad or whatever. But um, the only notable thing he really did was just absolutely clatter Dembele. Um, <laughs> but it was awesome. And <laughs> it was. I mean, you know, we love that sort of stuff where you know <clears throat> you just you. We we do sometimes just want to see an absolute nutter running about on the on the pitch and you know just prop you know probably getting stuck in whether fairly or not. I mean, I, it's one of those things where I think if it happens to us, if 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 a if a if a player does that to us, um, especially to one of our better players, because I think Dembele's kind of what makes Tottenham tick, and he does it very, does the quiet stuff very well. He but he never loses the ball. Um, and he's and he's strong, quick. You know, he, he, he sort of grey vision and everything keeps them ticking over. Um, I think I think Tottenham are well within their rights, sort of not obviously not like the tackle and to be very aggrieved uh, because it was high and it was it was late and there was no attempt to get the ball and it was it was not pretty. It was and it was not nice. It's one of those grey areas because you know 
if you if you if you do something like that late and and high and you and but you're going in with your studs, it's a red. You know, it's 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 a red all day. It doesn't even have to be that high. As you know, Rodwell's was up around the thigh. I mean, he properly kicked him. And uh, and and if you do that, if you do that with your studs down on someone's ankle, you're off. Um, but because he sort of it was a kick in motion with the top of the foot, it's only a yellow. So I can understand people's. Um, anger that maybe the rules seem a bit, a bit weird, a bit inconsistent. Because even if you get the ball with a two, you know, with a, with your stud, a studs up challenge, a referee can send you off. Yeah. So um, I can I can understand um, I can understand why they're angry about it, but it did give the crowd a lift because we are all just searching for anything <laughs> just to sh- just for them to show us that they care. Well, and I, obviously, I yeah. agree with that. In the sense that I mean, Tom highlighted it well, didn't he? When he's, it's one of two things happens. Do you know what I mean? And I think he was lucky. We all know he was lucky to get away with that. But what troubles me about that challenge is the look on his face. He's not looking at the ball. He doesn't even look like he knows the refs behind him, which just shows a sort of tunnel vision that he's obviously got in his head when he's going in for this tackle that he knows isn't actually going to be a tackle for the ball. Um, and we've seen him before get sent off for challenges like that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was sort of like in that lack of discipline. Well, it was one of them people. Point. Yeah, people have kind of put him put it in this in this in the sphere of tackles where you know someone's the, the opposition are breaking. There's men covering, but you're looking at maybe a, a two on two or or a three on two. Tottenham break at pace, and so you think, right? Well, I'll just clean him out. I'll take the yellow card, and that's that. Like you said, there was a kind of a sinister element to it mm. that that makes you think, well. Because it's so blatant and it's so high, so reckless, so late, and it's and it's got. I mean, if, if he catches him like square on the knee, I mean, it can it, that could cause serious, serious damage yeah. to a player. And so, like I said, I I think if that happened to us, we'd have a very, very different view on whether the referee should have sent him off or not. But rightly or wrongly, it did definitely. You know, give us a little bit of a kind of all right. Well, you're you're up for this. You you know you're. You you willing to you know get stuck in and and I not I I personally don't condone those kind of tackles and I think that that Rodwell was wrong to do it. I'd rather I I, I want honestly would rather that we that we uh, kind of had that had the football in general had that attitude of well it, I wouldn't want that done to us so we're not going to do it ourselves. I, that may sound like you know utopian and naive of me, but that's the way I kind of look at it. So. Yeah, I mean it's it's a difficult situation. I definitely sympathise with with uh, people who think you should have gone. Yeah. Do you not remember Tottenham's game against Chelsea last year when they just oh, decided they were going to go kick everyone yeah. up in the air yeah. and then start mother... gouging eyes and yeah. stuff like that? I mean, mother, it comes mom, and goes, yeah. doesn't it? My mother always said, two wrongs don't make a right, do they?" You know, it's <laughs> oh, always said. Yeah, so um, you must be the only yeah. person I know who listens to their mother. Yeah, <laughs> fair enough, man. Yeah. <laughs> on that note, talking about injuries, we've got a, a Twitter question as usual. Uh, go from a gentleman called Hoggett. In light of Rodwell's incredible challenge, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> what's the best challenge slash snap you've ever seen by a Sunderland player? I'm going to direct that to Tom. Uh, well, there's a big long list involving Lee Barry Catamol uh, that we could uh, start, <laughs> and obviously there's the one where he flattened Colback. And also, the, there was another great one where he took out uh, El Mohammadi and he hit Hull. But, uh, but and he walked off like, oh, what have I done? But my uh, 
my personal favourite. Oh, sorry, I've got two. I've got two. Uh, they were, I think they were in consecutive derbies, if I'm right. Uh, both involving Lee Catamol, but not, uh, only one of them doing it. Uh, my first one is when we were under O'Neill, when at St. James's. And uh, clearly, uh, Catamol and Barsley have hyped, been hyping each other up before they've gone out. And as soon as they've come out, Cat, uh, Barsley has gone absolutely flying into, I think, Gutierrez. And he's sprawled him up into the, uh, the stand. And he gets booked after about 30 seconds. And then he just turn, he turns around at Catamol and winks. <laughs> and, oh. that's, and it set the tone. And then Catamol did the same uh, under, let's say, again at St. James's under Poyet, uh, when he took out a. He, he like decapitated Daryl Yammat and to, to, turned around shrugging his shoulders thinking what's that about and again set the tone of the games that we uh, we didn't lose uh, but then obviously you have Kevin Ball flattening every person under the sun yeah it's, it's a weird it's a weird concept of Sunderland because we don't get excited for goals anymore because we never score them but the biggest cheer you'll ever hear is someone getting absolutely crunched on the halfway line. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, it was uh, it was quite a nice, <laughs> quite a nice Jack Rodwell's challenge. <laughs> yeah, it was definitely good. It certainly galvanised us. What do you? What about you, Cameron? Yours? <sighs> like I said, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a big fan of like proper, you know, unfair crunching, clattering tackles. I mean, Catamol on callback is is just objectively funny. It is. I mean, it's just, yeah, it, it is. I mean, it just has to be. But um, at the same time, not necessarily a tackle, but for, just for a pure maniac running around the pitch. Lorik Sarna was just... Yeah. I mean, he was just brilliant. I remember, like, you know the obligatory YouTube videos that you watch when someone signs? Yeah, you have to kind of, oh, I don't know this player, I'll check YouTube. YouTube will tell me what I need to know. And uh, the entire, all, the, all that it was, I think there was like two goals, and the rest of it was just ten minutes of him snapping people to heavy metal music. That's all it was. And I was like, oh, right, okay, fair enough. And he went into everything, every tackle, two-footed. Like, ev- literally every single one. If you watch, like, a highlight of his sun- time at Sunderland, he's just constantly, like, both feet in the tackles, like, leaving the ground. And he, he didn't get sent off that often. Uh, for us, I think he got, maybe he got, like, once or, yeah, once or twice at most. Um, but he was he was just an absolute nutter. He was, you know, he was him yeah, him and Catamol in central midfield, it was just, you know, it was just a recipe for disaster, really. But um, I really liked him. He was just he was just funny to watch. Like I, I enjoyed that. When men were men. <coughs> Good times. Absolutely, yeah. Well, obviously now we've got to talk about that thing called the transfer window. Um, it's fair to say that, as I said at the start, many fans are underwhelmed. We were expecting a striker. We didn't get one. Uh However you feel about that, and whatever you believe the reasons are, you can't say that you're happy about it. Uh, that inevitably means that we'll probably take whatever dross is available on the free market. I mean, that isn't to say that you couldn't necessarily find someone who will do a job, but when you consider that we sold one of our only goal scorers in order to fund the transfer window, essentially, um, we didn't bring in another goal scorer. It's quite terrifying, especially when you look at the fact that one was injured, obviously, and didn't score that many goals anyway. We've only got Defoe and Barini until Anichib is fit again. Um, and Barini's not firing either. So, Callum, what do you make of the transfer window? Um, I'm obviously not not happy uh, about it. I, I think, like you said, Van Arnold, um 
was a source of a lot of goals, a lot of attacking intent. Um, not not a good defender at all. Um, and anyone sort of pointing that out, you don't have to do too much research to 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 kind of find examples. And um, he infuriated me more than more than most in terms of the one thing you want to see a defender do is just kind of stand up to the ball, look it square in the in the in the eye, and and, and just take it. You know, if it if it if it hits you, it hits you. Kind of thing. And Van Arnold never really got close to people. Never really wanted to get hit by the ball, ducking out of the way. Um, you know, so I agree that um, fourteen million pounds is a lot for a defender that can't really defend. Um, but you have to, in my opinion, yeah. If you're going to get that money, you have to go out and replace the attacking side of things. Um, you know, he's brought in Oviedo and and Gibson Oviedo. Um, I, you know, he, he hasn't really played very much football. Um, he's had he had a nasty leg break a few years ago and and isn't renowned for goal scoring by any means. Um, and but you know, he could be a fair left back. I'll, you know, of course, I'll give him a chance uh, to to show what he can do. As for Gibson, there's nothing to suggest that Moyes will be able to keep him fit. If he does, great. You know, I hear good things. He's he's obviously got something about him. He might be able to add the goals, but it's a it's a big gamble to ask him to to add the goals because if is he going to be fit? I mean, it's so you know, in a sense you could say we have added goals, but what we've really added um, are, are players that Moyes uh, trusts that he, he likes. He knows they're not going to cause him too much trouble. I think it's clear with what Moyes said after the game yesterday about team spirit, fostering team spirit. That was maybe a sly. I think of maybe a sly dig at Van Arnholt saying, you know, now we're starting to get people in who I can build a team spirit around. And team spirit is, of course, incredibly important. But you have to have you have to have the goals. You have to have the quality. And like I said with Kone, he's, he's balanced off the personality issues and maybe the disagreements they've had against the fact that we need him. We need Kone. And with Van Arnholt, he's maybe calculated, you know, do we really need this guy? I'm going to take a risk and say no. He's not worth the hassle that he causes me. So he's obviously made that made that decision. Um, what I would say is that um, obviously with being allowed to, you know, he's he's put his foot down and said he's keeping Kone and he's been supported in doing that. He's brought in Oviedo. He's he said he was the one who who said who gave the green light for the Van Arnholt sale. He's brought in Gibson. He's brought in all these players who he's who he is. It, almost every single one he said I know they know me I know them um, and he's and he's uh, he's he, he's definitely building a squad that um, that is his um, wh- whatever limitations have been placed on him he has ultimately consented to them so um, you know he he is building his a, a team that is his team and it therefore reflects on him um, so you know we'll see how well it goes we'll see what happens with it um, but it's it's I, I don't think it's it's right for people to say oh we haven't got any money we haven't got this we haven't got that. He's working under these limitations and he's also limited himself by saying he wants Premier League experience. He wants play you know he players he clearly it's two way street. He wants players he knows. Um, so he's 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 limiting himself in some ways as well because there's obviously a premium on Premier League players and and. We don't have money, so he's obviously limiting himself to a certain batch of players, and within that batch of players, we're going to have to look at the bottom end of them. So while there's limitations on him, there's obviously going to he's put limitations on himself as well. So you know, 
I think this is definitely his squad. He's 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 building it to his specifications, and we'll see what it brings. But I'm I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely not uh, thrilled or or optimistic about it in any way, what shape or form. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've got some questions again uh, from Twitter. A gentleman called Scott Lang. Should we have done better to get more players in during the transfer window or are you happy with the current squad? And I will field that one if that's okay. Because, yeah, for me, absolutely, we should have had a system in place, a plan in place uh, that would cover all eventualities. The fact that we're sitting here now uh, hearing these vague excuses from our manager is just, again, it's another example of the the poor state of planning that's going on at club level. Um that's what really troubles me is not so much the fact that what we've got isn't uh, isn't enough because it'll have to be we haven't got a choice now really we, we're fans and we just have to sit here and take it but in reality what really concerns me is that there was no plan I mean we've, we've seen this whole almost we managed to make a saga almost like a deadline day saga about Ajoa coming in from Leicester to the point where he's kicking off saying he's never going to play for them again he feels betrayed by Ranieri um, I don't know if that was all to do with us or whether, because he never mentioned the club specifically, but he did say if a bid came in, if it, it was promised to him that if a bid came in of five, six million, they'd accept and he'd be willing to go. Um, what troubles me is that you've got a, a decent striker, but he's 30 years old, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, obviously. We've got both of our better strikers are actually older than him, so you can't really say anything about him there, but it's not the sort of. Um, there's been it's it's evidence it's evident to me there's no real scouting going on that Moyes trusts and again that that is a concern I mean you could you could also sort of compare that to the fact that we've now got what ten players from Everton and Manchester United ten players that Moyes specifically knows and has worked with even no matter how briefly it was for some of the younger lads like McNair and Love um, but yeah that that concerns me so why there wasn't a player <coughs> Why there wasn't yeah. something to cover this the inevitable Sunderland thing of going in for this one player and then realising you can't get him at the last minute. That's what troubles me. Yeah. I mean even Gillabodji um was the we kinda knew him because uh Moyes' new chief scout who we worked with at Everton had been at Chelsea and had signed Gillabodji for Chelsea. So he's obviously there's not a lot of kind of detailed scouting going on. Um you know, even as Joe, like, you know, he, he's like I said, he's obviously looking at Premier League players. He's he's obviously he's saying, oh well, the only players he's, I think he said in the quote, the only players who come here are players who look at who know how I work and they're willing to work with me and I, you know, and I, I kind of have that rapport with them. And so you're like, well, okay, but at the same time, um, I'm sure it works both ways in terms of you actually wanting to work with players you've worked with before. Um, and that's that's reassuring to to him as well because um, he said it for sort of every player that you know I, I know what they're like. I think he said for Oviedo he's a he's a good boy, you know he's a good character and all that sort of stuff. And 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 um, I, I think the we know that there's better value elsewhere, and we and he's had sufficient time. And while. We can say, oh well, you know, Ojoa wouldn't be—they wouldn't sell Ojoa to us, and it was going to cost too much money. Fine, but we now know that there's money that could have been spent, and we're not—I—I I don't think it looks like we're looking in European leagues or um, 
in in you know uh, in other other leagues where there's clearly talent because last year we got we got three talented players um you know Kone for 5 million pounds no premier league experience not british um within 6 months he's worth 15 to 20 million pounds more we signed Danny Graham for 5 million pounds in January 2012 and he's he had premier league experience british you know so it's it sounds it sounds good coming from someone when you say oh well we need premier league experience and, and i think it's a bit of a myth to be honest this premier league experience yeah. stuff um and and it's a bit of kind of a it it strikes me as him playing it safe um not having a lot of imagination um not having a lot of confidence in his own ability and kind of being stuck in a in a in a system that no there's no proof that it even that it's even necessary or works to have players who are premier league uh proven or or who are uh british uh, you know for me it just doesn't wash like you said if a is not going to sign by what was it i think it was what four o'clock when we five o'clock when we put the bid in so there's still six hours left are you telling me we haven't got any other strikers that we've scouted? That there aren't any strikers who could be sold to us at all? No one selling. No one in continental Europe is selling for, for that much money. I, I have to say, I don't believe it. I don't think we're. I don't think the scouting network has been up to scratch. And I think that has to. You know, whatever you think of Moyes, whatever you say, we we have to admit that that not signing a striker is a massive, massive problem. Uh, do you, do you think no getting that, away from it. Do you think that uh, that supposed bid for James Rodriguez was uh, just that? James Rodriguez or, or Jay Rodriguez? Because Hammers, oh, Hammers oh, Rodriguez. Well, we've both, <laughs> both got the same thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> Sixty well, million uh, pound bid to Real Madrid for Hammers Rodriguez. Why not? Well, I, I don't know. He doesn't go to continental Europe. As no, he doesn't. Never, <laughs> he's never managed him. I don't think Rodriguez has ever played yeah. eleven. So. Well, um, as you yeah. as you say, it was. I was thinking uh, during the day today. Even when he was at Man United, he went down the same route because he couldn't get the. His scouting there was next to nothing. It was just like pick the biggest players names out of a hat, go yeah. and get them. Then you end up with having to buy someone from Everton. He wanted he wanted Leighton Baines as well. He wanted uh, he got Fellaini, and he, I, me- I remember he wanted Leighton Baines and Colin so, and. Bloody hell, man. <laughs> this is the thing. He doesn't... I don't know if it's the fact that he got he got burnt quite a lot when he was at Everton with really, really bad buys. Like, and spent a lot of money on players like... Um, well, the first one that springs to mind is that um, billionaire Dunoff, that yeah. Russian lad. And he paid an absolute fortune for him and he was garbage. And he yeah. got done on players like... Uh, Van der Maeder, uh, that Royston Drenta, and places yeah. where they pick these players up from continental Europe, and they've just not been good enough. Whereas mm-hmm. uh, now, now I think I think you're right. He just doesn't believe he doesn't believe in himself. He doesn't think that I can drag this team out by gambling. He's, he can't. Um, it's unlike Allardyce, where mm-hmm. he's got the he's got the confidence to go into these other markets that he's known for years, and he's had. Like every manager, they have you know varied success. For every joke I have, there's like oh god, they've got a terrible Bolton player. That's <laughs> uh, Tay, for for instance. And it's like, yeah, you're gonna get your hit and misses, but then eventually you're gonna buy three players. I mean, let's be honest, 
Allardyce was absolutely incredibly lucky that, first of all, Kershaw stayed fit for as long as he did, and Kone and both Kazri just slotted into this team so seamlessly. But you see, is it luck or is it is it is it good management? Is it is it awareness of uh, sports science? You know, and and and, yeah, yeah. and kind of a real knowledge and confidence in yourself. That's the thing. Like with David Moyes, we we choose to sort of say, oh well, no, he's really good. He's just got he's just had a lot of bad luck. But then with Sam Allardyce, we say, ah, well, he wasn't that good. He was just lucky. You know, it's it's one of those things where I'm just like, can we not can we not at least acknowledge that? <clears throat> Sam Allardyce managed to not only it wasn't just Kirchhoff it was uh, Kabul um, O'Shea uh, you know th- th- we barely had any injuries um, you know he got, he got Barini fit and kept him fit and got him you know got him sharp as well yeah and there's a lot of um, and Carmel Carmel was fit all the way through too you know it, mm. it, it's it's one of these things where um <laughs> Look, I, I suppose there, there might be such a thing as, as you know, everything, you know, all, all the bad things seem to happen at once and, and he maybe has no control over it. But at the same time, we can't just say that Allardyce has all these sports science things going on and it's just pure luck that it worked. Um, I I don't know. I, I just think that... Um, David Moyes gets a bit of a gets an easy rise, and and uh, and people don't really, you know. I, I saw something when we signed um, Oviedo and Gibson. Someone saying, "Oh well, you know, you can't you can't really blame him if these if these signings don't work out because he hasn't had any money." And <laughs> and, and you think, well, if you're already making excuses for signings, are like an hour or two after they've signed. You know, the, people just don't want to hold him to any standard at all, and and he's got to be held to standards. Um, he's got to be. You've got to criticise him and, and assess his decisions. And you know, whatever the limit, like I said, whatever the limitations that have been placed on him, however severe they are, he is at, he is Sunderland's manager. He is getting paid. He is doing the job, and so he is consenting to those limitations, whether tacitly or not. And and so. I think that to sort of say, oh, we'll keep doing the job, keep getting paid, but we're not going to blame you for anything. We're not going to criticise you for anything. We're not going to, you know, um, hold you to account at all. Um, I, I don't. Th- I don't think is 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 right, and, and I don't think um, I don't think it, it 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 means that he'll be giving everything he's got because he'll get away scot free. So um, I agree with that. I, I think. <clears throat> A, a massive sign of that as well. Something that definitely signifies that from the fans is this: is the constant um, backtracking to the argument of, "Oh, well, I'm sick of chopping and changing managers. This is the only way. This is the only way that we can we can finally come good and get some stability." And I mean, when you see fans uh, in such numbers at this stage of the season as well, like just after the January transfer window, already resigned to relegation. It's it's quite a, a gut punch, isn't it? Really, and it's, again, that's indicative of the of the way the club is run. I mean, particularly when talking about Moyes with his, his ridiculous dour outlook on everything and his his need to dampen already dampened hopes. It's like there, there's no one else to do that for. It's not like you get constant rallying calls from John O'Shea who will just stand in front of a camera for five minutes and say well look well look well look well look before he says everything it's just pointless <laughs> He's, he makes excuses as well but that's what he does and that's what they're like um, yeah I, I think that is 
that's the worst thing for me about Moyes is these people rallying around him saying oh well he's telling the truth he's telling the truth and like, honesty isn't as important in this game it isn't as important as you think because don't for one second think that he's being honest about how much money he's got to spend what he was actually told when he came into the job what he's actually doing who he's pursuing do you know what I mean there's a, this whole concept that oh we love a bit of honesty from the club it, it, it's it's nothing it's breadcrumbs it's breadcrumbs to lead you away from these massive problems that arguably would have everyone terrified of what's happening at their club so yeah I agree with that I'm, I can't stand Moyes I mean well he said he said after the game um, well you know we're going to have to have a good team spirit we're going to have to do this but it's something like um, because we haven't got the players that we want here and you're just like that's another brilliant oh, come thing on, to hear from your boss come isn't on. it yeah come on mate you know like Say say what you want in pride. Like if you want to talk to your coaches or the or the or the chief exec or the chairman like that behind closed doors, then you know fair enough. But when that's out there, like you know, the how are the players not going to hear that? Why are the why are the players going to want to play for someone like that? To well to like to their bet to the best of their ability. It's very easy to get up for a game against Tottenham or Liverpool. You know, all the all the ex pros will say, "Oh, you don't need any motivation for games like that." You know, for the big games, the games against the big players, the big teams. It's when you're scrapping it out against Burnley, um, or you know, or Swansea or whoever. That's where we've come up short, and we know that the players are capable of performances like the ones against Liverpool, like the ones against uh, Tottenham, and 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 that just emphasises the fact that in the other games. There's something wrong. There's something going on that means the players aren't aren't at it, aren't motivated, and not delivering the level that we know that they can deliver. And that's that's what frustrates people. And and when you see quotes like that, it's it it's hard not to think. Well, is this kind of maybe playing a bit of a part in it? You know, do you look at Allardyce? I, I mean, I know we keep harking back, and he's gone, and we should get over it. You know, we're like kind of. Well, like kind of ex-boyfriends, just kind of, you know, constantly talking <laughs> about our ex. Yeah. But, um, but, you know, the game where like Jeffrey Schlupp goes down with cramp at the opposite end of the pitch, so he's nowhere near play, and he's even off the pitch for Crystal Palace, and Everton go up the other end and score. And to get the game stopped, Schlupp shuffles himself onto the pitch to try and get them to stop it, even though... He's at the other end of the pitch. He's not. He, nothing's going to happen, and he's only got cramp. It's not a head injury. So by every single law of the game, you don't stop the game. There's no need to stop the game. If anything, you can card Schlupp for getting himself back on the pitch to try and get the game stopped. Allardyce comes out, and he knows the game, but he defends the player, and he defends his team, and he puts his attention on someone else, and he looks like an, an idiot because all the match of the day pundits are saying, oh, well, you know, Big Sam's got it wrong there. I don't see what he's talking about and all that sort of stuff. But he's come out and he's defended his players. And then he said, if they believe as much as I believe that we're going to get out of it, we'll get out of it. Yeah, I mean, and that, 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 and, is one of his, that is one of his biggest yeah. features, I think. I mean, yeah, he, and that's, that, that is the, the key difference, isn't it, between him and Moyes, is that sort of it is. being, being well, able to Alan... pretend to be positive. But you say that, I mean... I mean, we're running out of time, unfortunately, man. I'll have to cut you off, sadly. <laughs> that's a very oh, no, that's fine, fine. <laughs> but we've got, talking about Allardyce, obviously we've got Palace coming up next. Um, just a quick one, really, because we've only got a few minutes left. Uh, what we, 
what are we thinking about Palace? Obviously, we're going to see Van Aanholt come against us for the first time. Uh, obviously, going up against Allardyce again for the first time since he left. So, uh, Tom, what do you make of it? What do you reckon is going to happen? Um, well, before before last night, I always thought we would just get rolled over like we did at uh, West Brom. But now that they've got Van Aanholt in defence... Um, that I think we could actually exploit that. If Moyes has got any nouse about him, he'll pile everything down the right. And Billy Jones and Barini can actually work well together. And if they can exploit, if they can stop Van Aanholt getting forward and exploit him in his defensive roles, because he'll he'll always he'll switch off and he'll be far too up for this game, I imagine. Mm. And if we can exploit that and get in get in. Behind him, I think we could have, we could be all right. I mean, I spoke to some Crystal Palace fans on on their podcast um, before, and they were already saying they can see what we were on about that he is good going forward, but he's not very good as a defender. So since we know that, and all the players know that, they should try and exploit that as much as possible. On the flip side, you've got Allardyce who knows us too well, and he knows how to play against us. Um, and I'm hoping, hoping we just have the same solidity that we had last night. Oh, sorry, Tuesday. And Palace are going to give us more chances than Tottenham did. So hopefully we'll be able to just take our chances, stay solid at the back, and you never know. Like the other week, I would have said we would get beat 3-4-0. I'm going to go with a tentative 1-1 draw. Well, I agree about... Um being able to manipulate the fact that Van Anholt's now in defence so hopefully and the fact that it'll be overly eager I think he'll throw a strop I think he'll I, I think there's going to be some there's going to be no love lost on the pitch tomorrow to be honest uh, tomorrow Saturday sorry um, <coughs> what about you Kevin? Uh yeah I mean I think they're, they're obviously they've not been in the best of form they've obviously they've been boosted by that win uh, against Bournemouth um they're a different kind of team to Tottenham. They they have a lot of pace out wide. They like to you know they like to get um, you know they they have wingers. They play with traditional wingers. You know they've got Schlupp, they've got Zaha, Townsend. Um, so there's a lot of pace out wide. So the three five two could be overloaded, um, and you could have like three men on Benteke um, doing not much in in uh, in the center in the in the penalty area. So I'm I. While it worked well against Tottenham, I'm not sure whether it's the best formation to play against uh, against Palace. But we did, having said that, I think we did play it when Allardyce. Oh, it was a, I think it was last season when we went there, um, and we did play it uh, play three five two, and I think we won that game. Mm. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, um, who who knows? But at the same time, Palace have a lot of threats. Benteke always scores against us. Um, Allardyce has had a bit of time there to. To put his stamp on things, they've got the first clean sheet, I think, of his of his tenure, or definitely one of the. They haven't had many, um, so you know, I think if we can get out of that without losing it, um, I think obviously it keeps us it keeps us in the mix. If we lose it, then I think that's you know, it's a, you never say never. Anything can happen. You can put runs to run of games together, and you can be back in it. But at the same time, I think. Um, with with the way things have been and and with Palace, you know, obviously on a bit of a uh, looking like they want to go on a bit of a run, having won against Bournemouth, I think a draw would probably be a good result in the circumstances. But we've just got to keep an eye on the on the wide players and obviously on on Benteke who can 
just cause us all kinds of problems. But um, well, yeah, just so yeah. I don't leave everybody feeling depressed after this, <laughs> <laughs> off the back of a decent performance yesterday. I will say that we're going to win three one three one. Sorry, I don't know where the goals mm-hmm. are coming from, but that's what's <laughs> going to happen. Because I well, well, you know what? To make sure it happens, I'll go and put a bet on it, and I know how it works, isn't it? There. No. Put it the other way around. Yeah. Put it the other way around. <laughs> it's a good job I discussed this before I made the bet, otherwise we'd be really in the shit. Right, cheers for joining me again, lads. Um, cheers. Thank you guys okay. for listening. Uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's been emotional. Hopefully it can be more emotional. Hopefully we can get a victory on Saturday. Hopefully we'll have more points and something interesting to talk about. We'll be returning to the regular Sunday nights um, as of next week. Don't forget you can subscribe to us on iTunes or on the Acast app. And this is the Michael Ball signing off. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.